The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. This time we're joined by Tony Turner, a legendary pinball importer who bought in games in the 90s and 2000s from Europe and America for resale in Australia. At the time, he was bringing in about 300 or more games per year. That's one game every day he was selling. Prices were good, service was excellent, restoration was wonderful, and we'll find out more about what motivated him to bring all these games into the country and resell them, and what he's up to now. Hope you enjoy, and just a reminder, all feedback is welcome, aussiepinballpodcast at gmail.com. So joining me on this Aussie Pinball Podcast is one Tony Turner out of Brisbane. Have you always been out of Brisbane, Tony? Yes, John, yep. Born, born a brick Queenslander. Yeah, born in Brisbane. Beautiful. So Tony's famous for taking a lot of my money by selling me pinball machines over the past, and he's recently retired, much to everyone's disgust that he would even think of retiring <laughs> when we need him more than ever to sell us cheap pinball machines. Tony, how long have you been in the uh, buying and selling pinball machines game? Since about 1990. 1990. What got you into it all? What started For this 30 horrible years. mess? Oh, mate, I've always had um, an interest in pinballs from a, a young age. I used to always play with the old electromechanicals in the early 70s when I was 13, 14, 15 year old. When I first started making a few dollars uh, to feed the slots in all the <laughs> local cafes and hangouts. <laughs> I got addicted. Yeah. Addicted at an early age. That's a good thing. But uh, <laughs> did you have a, a, I'll put in inverted commas, did you have a real job before you got into this pinball stuff? My first ever job at the age of um, 14 was in a butcher shop as an apprentice butcher. Wow. But it only lasted less than six months because the butcher shop burnt down. Um, was it your fault? No, no. It was, <laughs> burnt, burnt down one night. But after that, yeah, mate, I, I ended up in working in an abattoir, a slaughterhouse, for the next eight years. Man, there's a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> You're a bloodthirsty man. <laughs> up to the age of 22, then for the next 10 years, from um, 22 to 32, I was a full-time union organiser in the meat industry. Wow. That was a very interesting job. Why? What made it so interesting? Oh, just, um, it was like a lot of negotiations between the workers and the, the workplaces. And um, there was many times I'm out at a, an abattoir at six o'clock in the morning addressing 500 people in the car park. They're all armed with those bolt things that shoot the cow in the head <laughs> as well. <laughs> like well, no was, country for old new... men. Yeah. <laughs> it was very interesting times. It was good. It was interesting times in the 70s and 80s and 90s and all that. In sort Queensland of especially, because there was no corruption in Queensland in those days, which was good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Correct. 
for the, was Joe Bielke Premier of those days? Yes, mate, was he was. <laughs> oh, wow. I know the answer. Well, because the stitching time the saves the nine cat and nine tails before the the before the girl falls and the, and the fool and the hole in his money are parted on the horns of a dilemma. Okay. <laughs> So, for those who don't know, the, Queen, the Queensland government was run by two people, Joe Bielke-Peterson and Russell Hins. Russell Hins was the minister for everything, larger than life, in person and in politics, and basically controlled all of Queensland and got everything done by, uh, I won't say paybacks or corruption, <laughs> alleged. We then had the Fitzgerald inquiry and um, a lot of it was exposed. Yeah, and a few ministers went to jail. Correct, yeah. So then you gave up the uh, the animal slaughter for pinball. After you played it as a kid, what made you go into pinball as far as a career goes? Well, once I got out of the union, John, uh, my wife and myself bought a couple of uh, video rental stores, video uh, rental movies, VHS tapes at the time. And as a source of revenue, we bought like half a dozen pinball machines and just put them in a corner of our stores. And they were good, um, very good revenue. And it was a good way of um, every six months we'd, we'd sell a couple off and then buy a couple more. And at that time, that's when I first started importing from overseas in the early 90s from the USA because the USA had a glut of pinballs and we could get them over there, a lot of titles that, we, that were never imported into Australia. And I was getting these and putting them in my video stores and people hadn't seen them before and they were going very well. What titles were that? Solid State in those days or were we on DMD yet? It was the last of the Solid State just prior to DMD. So we're talking, sort of. there was a lot of good Gottlieb titles, Gottlieb System 3 titles that weren't bought into the country. Class of 1812, Cactus Jack, Vegas, Deadly Weapons. There was... Um, Actually, a lot of System 11 Williams stuff that I bought. There was your Bad Cats, um, Swords of Fury, just a lot of those sort of games that people, there wasn't a lot here at that time. Taxi was another one. Stop teasing me with all these great titles. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you go to America and hunt them down or did you have a contact dealer there that would uh, pack them up and ship them for you? Well, back then it was before internet. So all I did was... Um, make um, late-night telephone calls to American wholesalers, American pinball sellers over there, and just introduce myself over the phone. It was all done by fax back then. I'd, I'd fax him a list, would you have anything like this? And he would then fax me a list back. He said, we've just got all these trade-ins. Would you be happy to take these? We'll do you a good deal. And, gee, at the time, I was getting a lot of that stuff. For, we're talking U.S. dollars, $6.95, $7.95. And by the time we got here, it probably cost maybe just over a thousand dollars Australian yeah. at that wow. time, maybe twelve hundred. But then you had to do the conversion from the one ten to the two forty. Oh well, that's pretty straightforward with a lot of pinballs now because they're um, the transformers are multi-tapped. It's right. just a matter of doing jumps on them, and so it was all straightforward. So, so were you doing most of the uh, technical work on them when you bought them over? Yes, mate, I, I sort of self-taught and read a lot of books about all that and that's how I sort of started. And I was very lucky. I had a, a my brother-in-law is John Grist and uh -huh. I married, I married yeah. his sister Alison. There you go. And John at the time had left tele, um, Telecom, which is a communications um, business in Australia run by the government, 
he had done his um, electronics apprenticeships with them and he um, left and he was just a young fellow. He had nothing to do. And I said, mate, why don't you come and sort of start learning how to do all this pinball stuff? So I actually got John into pinball and John has, is probably now one of Australia's um, best pinball machine um, experts in regard to repairing. He, he can he can fix anything. He's um, brilliant. Correct. Uh, That's such a good, a good symbiotic relationship. You get a pinball tech and a wife. Yeah, it worked out really pretty well. <laughs> so you're bringing container loads full? Or how many would you bring in at a time? Uh, not, not at that time. We were only just doing, um, I think I was only just bringing three or four at a time in. So just part container loads, um, just through freight forwarders. You, you can just sort of get, I forget what they call it, um, where you just get a part partial container. Backloading, back yeah. Container. Yeah, Okay. And then who are you selling to? There's no internet. How do you advertise pinball machines uh, to, to sell? Because did they go around Australia or they're just local? Made just local uh, video store customers. They um, they, okay. love, they love certain games and, and then I just put a sign on when, when I finished. Uh, this, this game's for sale and made no trouble selling them. They were, they were, and the good thing was a lot of the stuff we got out of America, they were in really nice condition, excellent condition. So we get them and just put um, put them in use for six months, and and they're still in really nice condition. Because in video stores, you, you couldn't say they got high usage, but they they were played pretty well. But certainly not high usage, like if they were in a bar or an arcade or something like that. Yeah, and not not so much tobacco smoking in the video store. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or, or stuff spilled all over them. So you bring them in for yourself. Did you then transition to? more numbers to become more of a uh, an importer and seller yeah because um word starts sort of started getting out that um, i was selling pinballs and and then coming up towards the um the late 90s early 2000s i was starting to get calls from all around australia saying oh can you get me this can you get that and the answer every time was just no mate there's just none of them around <laughs> You just can't buy pinballs. It's just um, secondhand pinballs, and even I think new pinballs at the time were very scarce. There was there wasn't many coming into the country because Bally Williams ceased to exist from about '99 onwards. Leisure and Allied up here were the importers of those. They used to sell a lot of those to their operators. But because pinball took off, the operators weren't selling any of their games that they've had. They were just expanding their their operations and their runs with more and more pinballs so they're looking for pinballs the public's starting to look for pinballs and i'm getting all these phone calls and i think we were starting to get emails by then i think it was on the internet by about the early 2000s so i started searching in america can i get one that wants to sell container loads and I, I couldn't sort of find container loads of pinballs in america there was they kept on putting me oh there's this there's these some dodgy guys in South America and Brazil, and but you you got to be careful what, what you get. So I never sort of went down that way. But then a friend of mine from he was an English fella. He had met this guy in Italy, and he said, um, and he actually bought some pinballs off of me. It was only like half a dozen, and he he asked me to come around and have a look at them, and could I do do the work on them and change them over and see what see what I thought. And I said, oh, what did you pay for these and what sort of money? And at that time, I think it worked out, they were like oh, $1,500, $1,800 each. 
and there were some really good titles. And I thought, gee, that sounds a good, pretty good. I said, have, have these guys got many pinballs? He said, oh, yeah, there's a big list here with like about 100 on. So the next time I'm backwards and forwards, I started emailing this guy and said, mate, I'll, he said, how many do you want the same as your friend? I said, no, mate, I'll, I'll take a, a full 40-foot container with 70. Huh. I said, can you, um, can you supply me? He said, oh, are you sure you want that many? I said, yes, mate, I, I do. <laughs> so the first container of 70 pinballs was, um, I think it took six, probably eight weeks to arrive. And we're talking a lot of stuff, like a lot of Belly Williams titles and Fishtails, Doctor Who's, um, Indiana Jones. Wow. And all these, we sort of landed them for about 1500 just less than $2,000. So I've got all these pinballs here. The condition on them was excellent. There was um, rarely any duds amongst them. So I sort of thought, well, if I sell these cheap, I'll still make some pretty good money, and then I might be able to get another container. Hmm. So I, I sold the majority of them for, say, about by the time we did some service on them and work, put new rubbers and put the lights in them and, and re repaired any circuit boards, Worked out they probably cost me two, so then I put okay, I'll, I'll sell them for two and a half thousand. <laughs> and before I know it, mate, I had that many guys turning up at the at my um, pinball shed, the the business I had here on on acreage in the Redlands in here in Brisbane. And um, every time a container arrived, there was 20, <laughs> 20 or thirty guys lined up, and they were sort of the seagulls would be there plucking at the carcasses. <laughs> so. Who had the biggest pucker factor? Did you send the money in advance to Italy and wasn't quite sure what was coming over? Or did he send them over and was happy for you to pay once they arrived? He wanted half payment before they left. Okay. okay. And then the That's other, not a bad and, arrangement. And then the other half before they arrived. Um, yeah. so, so once <laughs> like as once they arrived in port. So yeah. you knew you knew they were on the water and you knew it was coming. Okay. But I think um, within within a couple of weeks, I was back on them again. Okay, let's let's do another seventy. <laughs> and so it got there for that first ten years. I was selling over three hundred pinballs a year. Wow! Isn't that amazing? So you're, you're the problem that there's no pinballs left in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> we had to then start searching in Germany, Spain, France, wow. Belgium. I think yep. we'll get, we'll get them from everywhere, and about half a dozen different people that I, I sort of I, I I had people then approaching me from overseas and saying, "Oh, I hear you bought yeah. from the, my friend in Italy, and uh, do you want more?" And here's the list. And all the times I was doing, John, I, I'm very lucky. I was never ripped off to any degree, um, to any big degree. There was times where the quality of them sort of started to deteriorate a little and they were missing circuit boards and motors and displays weren't real good. But you just so, sort of, it's all part of doing business and you just have to, we might have had to wreck a couple every now and then to use parts to get the other ones going. But towards the end, John, where, where are we now, 2022? So probably about five years ago, after I'd been doing this for about 15 years of bringing all these numbers in, they started getting harder to get over there and the prices just started to skyrocket. Fishtails, Doctor Who's, I, I was then having to pay like nearly 5000 for them and at that time we couldn't really get 5000 for them. 
So I started getting a lot fussier and maybe buying a lot cheaper stuff and uh, and buying a little bit of dearer stuff because the top end stuff you could always sell that your medieval madnesses and Adam's families, Arabian Nights, Circus Voltaire. We could still get a good supply of those for a reasonable price. I think we were still paying five, five and a half for them, but I knew we could get seven, seven and a half for them at that time. But you get them and the quality of the play fields were starting to get worn. So they were pretty much down to the dregs, I think, from those overseas countries. it's uh, It was hard to get to get better and better good quality stuff that you didn't have to spend a fortune on to to bring it up to okay. a good sellable level but I, then, I, I was hoping i had in my mind that this business you were you were zipping up to europe looking at all these games having a little holiday and coming back but you never actually went over i never went over there once john but the um i did have buyers from over there come over here to meet me they wanted to, to wow. meet me and see what i was like and and then we sort of that's how i established relationships with them that's but, interesting. Um, and I did go to the States a few times and met some different guys over there. The demand for pinball had gone crazy in the USA, probably more so than us. It went crazy yeah, over what there. Year, what year did that thing? 2000? Uh, yeah, 2000, 2005. So, yeah, probably yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Okay. But um, we were just podding away, John. We were, I was just getting a, a small container with like 35 in maybe every every three or four months and in, in this is we're talking the last five years so i cut right back and tried to get a better quality product that we'd spend more time on and try and exist that way and we were going okay till covid and then early um i think um we went through christmas 2019 and then we had our holidays came back and i started looking at what to get and then all of a sudden covid hit in that march and the world shut down, mate. I couldn't get anything out of anywhere. And that was a real concern. We just, at that time, I sort of thought, well, no one's going to really want to be buying pinballs. Everyone's worried about what's happening. But my demand demand at that time went crazy. It was ridiculous. Everyone's staying home. <laughs> everyone's staying home and, and everyone's contacting me. What have you got? I said, mate, I can't get anything. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way, maybe new pinball sales went crazy in that time because they're the only ones that could supply the market and even now buying a new stern we're waiting a year after you order to get a Mate, new stern in isn't that crazy i just don't understand that because you've got a big factory making all these pinballs and i wonder they what cannot the... keep up they can't keep up with demand plus parts you know one of the big things they say is the chips ford says we need eight million chips to make our trucks and stern says we need a thousand chips to make our pinball. <laughs> Guess where the yeah. chips are going, and uh, right they're all the being made in China, uh, and they've got the say over who gets what when. So yeah. there's parts missing everywhere. That's that's the problem. Another part of the problem also in that early COVID um, twenty twenty, a different type of buyer came into the market. This was the guy that was thinking they were a massive investment, and to start putting superannuation uh, money cashing in super to buy a whole heap of pinballs really you would you would john you wouldn't believe the number of phone calls i got from people would ring me and say what pinballs have you got i said mate i haven't got anything at present and i said well, what are you actually looking for because I, I i know some people have got stuff for sale and they said mate just anything I, i've just cashed in me super and i just want to buy any pinballs i can get i said mate what's your reasoning it's oh they're because they've gone, they've doubled in price in the last few years. It's going to be a really good investment for my superannuation. <laughs> so 
And, mate, I was getting probably two or three phone calls a day of that type of person that had now entered the market, thinking that there was a massive investment in pinballs that had been happening and it was going to just keep on happening. Wow. So is that why secondhand price has gone absolutely crazy? Exactly, mate. It was driven by a lot of people with a lot of money and they just wanted to sort of, they asked for, oh, can you get me an Arabian Nights and a Circus Voltaire and Adams? I said, mate, there's just none around. Yeah, no. well, I want one. Can you get a one? <laughs> and I want it now, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I remember watching with amazement. Did you see the captain's um, auction of the Pinball Museum? I saw, uh, the, I saw so the finished was... results, yeah. Wow. I couldn't believe that. Was... that. Yeah. That was just people who had no idea what pinball was worth and what games were worth. And, and uh, they just, just drove the prices yeah. crazy. Ah, so annoying. Well, but, well, well, then what happens then, John, if someone like that buys an Adams family for, um, gets it off a dealer, um, not a dealer, a home person for 15000 the market then finds out, oh, an Adams family sold for fifteen. Well, mine's worth fifteen now, and because it's got a new play field, I might put eighteen on it. And they kept on going up and people kept on paying those prices. That's right. Ah. <laughs> it didn't stop. I'll, I'll sit here with my little collection going, right, don't move. Don't move. <laughs> well, oh, it, was, it was driven by a lot of different, a lot of new people into the hobby. And um, mm. it's it's mm. uh, it's sad really, John, because back in the day when I first started and we were selling all those good pinballs for two and a half, I had all these new new wannabe pinball owners come and see me uh, the mums and dads of all their kids and they could get something for two two and a half thousand and so all these new people came into the hobby and then within a few months they'd come and buy another one they, oh we want to get enough one now we're having so much fun but you know in the last five six years people come and see me what's your cheapest pinball and i said mate you're just not going to get anything under five six Ed. seven eight grand <laughs> Well, yeah. we can't really afford that. Why are they so dear? I said, mate, that's just mm -hmm. the way it is. Oh, well. Yeah. So many people just walked out the door, mate, without buying anything because they thought you could get something cheap. And, and we, right. we turned away all that part of the new part of the hobby. Yeah. I really think the future is pinball rentals. There are, and I've said it before on the podcast, there are people in, in most states of Australia now uh, that will buy a new inbox and locate it for a little while and then rent them out to families. Let's say, you know, 100 bucks a week, 400 bucks a month, you know, 600 for two months. You get a brand new game in your home. You can enjoy it with your kids. You're not putting out the capital investment. And then you can change it over after a couple of months for another one. And hopefully more people would do that. And that way uh, the families can experience in their home properly. That's yeah. what I'm hoping anyway. Yeah, well, I'm seeing uh, there's a couple of different guys I, I know here in Brisbane. I know people in Sydney and Melbourne um, are starting to rent the pinballs. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's um, They can do it it's at, at an affordable price. They yep. can change, change them over every few months. So it, yep. it does give the people wanting a, a cheaper pinball for home for their kids some hope then without the, the initial investment. And the pinballs don't get wrecked because they're not in a pub. They're in a person's house. Exactly, they tend to look yeah. after them, so they maintain their value. So that's, I think, the future with the prices. That's now, tell me about the shop. How long did the shop go for? I remember dropping in the shop and buying games off you. I remember going to the farm, too, or the acreage. <laughs> yeah. And wading through all the games. But, uh, yeah, how did the shop go? Well, we started doing it all at the um, on, on the big shed I built at home there in our workshop. 
But when you get 70 pinballs arrive and it takes up a lot of space, you've got to unpack them all, stand them all up, and you've still got to have then an area to service them, restore them, and then you've got to have an area to um, present them in, in a, a nice condition for um, the buyer. We said that it's probably time we've outgrown what we're doing, and if we want to get a bit more fair dink, and we should open a nice showroom somewhere. So trying to, to rent something was um, hard at the time, so... It worked out good. We sort of, I knew a builder guy that had built um, a complex and he said, uh, I went and saw him. He said, oh, I've actually got one left here, one part of that complex that I've never sold. I, I'd help you out there. So we ended up buying it off him. It was probably 10 years ago now, 2010. So we bought that. It was, um, it wasn't a big place, but we sort of, we didn't want to venture out and into too big a, a place because we had to watch our money at the time. We're trying to sort of keep the containers rolling. So, and like I said, you're paying in advance, half of it in advance, and you're then going to um, uh, set the place up. We set the showroom up. We had a little area at the back, and then we, we set it up. It was a nice and clean environment, painted it up, and we could fit probably, I think at the max, we could probably fit about 25, 30 pinball machines ready for sale in there at any one time. And um, my wife, Alison, at the time was... Um, she looked after the sales part while myself and um, the staff looked after the um, repairing and servicing and restoring and delivering of the pinballs. So that worked, that worked quite good. And had the occasion competition there on a Friday night? Yeah, what was really successful, we had our month, um, I think we did it every second Friday night, we had a, a pizza and pinball night. And it first started off, we had 20, 25 people. But, you know, within within a couple of months, we were getting 40, 50 people and all the kids and a lot of people with their families and kids because we would just charge them, I think it was only 10 or $15 at the time and it was pretty much all you could eat pizza and <laughs> a couple of free soft drinks. So all the pinballs were on free play. So they could play from 7 o'clock till 11 o'clock at night, four hours. They could just play all the different pinballs and, oh, they had a ball. It was... <laughs> We didn't really do it to, to promote the sales part, but um, I, I did get people come in on the Saturday saying, oh, we played this game last night, we'd like to buy it. and So that worked out pretty good. But we mainly just did it to promote pinball and just to get the kids, because we really pushed it as a family friendly. We didn't, uh, we let people have a beer, but we didn't encourage people having too many beers because yeah. of that situation with yeah. the kids around. And, and that worked really well, and it was great to see all the smiley, happy faces. And of all the titles you've had come through, I won't say what's your favourite game. I want to say, ask, what is your secret shame game? What game do you really enjoy that wasn't an A-list most popular game that everyone else loved? What sort of... <laughs> My secret shame. Oh, mate, I like playing some of those old EMs and early solid states. I, I was always a fan of the original um, Black Knight. Your uh -huh. strikes and spares, your lost world, six million dollar man, Paragon was a favourite, an, an early belly Paragon. I remember buying one off you. You, so did you had to put too. the extra flipper back on because they they'd taken that extra flipper off, so you couldn't get uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> split yeah. between them. So you put the extra flipper back on for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, I was a fan of those early solid states. There were some lovely games they made. Um, yeah. With great art. The art was oh, extraordinary. It was, it was excellent. Yeah, I think Paragon's one of my favourite ever. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, 
Outside Pinball, what is on your playlist that you recommend everyone listen to as far as Aussie music goes? Oh, mate, I'm a big fan of very early, late 60s, early 70s Aussie rock. You can't go past some of the daddy cool. Come back again. Streets late at night. I'm worried because you ain't treating me right. Come back again. I'm just crazy about you, babe. good songs come back again um a couple of brisbane groups i, I was big fans of at the in, in that era was a group called new world and a group railway gin I was a big Skyhooks fan. I love that horror movie um, song. Um, also, anything Cold Chisel, Metals, anything, Aussie Cruel. Yeah. So I was yeah. a big fan of, of genuine Aussie stuff in that early 70s. Yeah, that was so good. But we, yeah, we, we start, we've started the podcast uh, with Horror Movie by Skyhooks. It was just a great song. It was. In a yeah. great era. Uh, yeah, a song about the news. Very good. Much better than their... Uh, you just like me because I was good in bed song. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is banned on every radio station. But the first song they played on uh, Double J, the youth radio network that ABC started, just to stick it up the establishment. But the, <laughs> the, I, I remember that uh, Kiss got a little upset with Skyhooks at one stage because Red Simons used to wear a lot of makeup on stage. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, and Kiss said, hey, this guy's ripping us off. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's go back in history when we first started and when you first started. The Skyhooks predated Kiss by about six or seven years, I think. So uh, that's right. Yeah. They didn't bother pursuing Kiss for a lawsuit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, they, they were a great band. And Ross Wilson from Daddy Cool. Yeah, we'll have to finish with a with a Daddy Cool song. Yeah. And, uh, and give me your favourite Aussie uh, movie, mate. I've got two favourite Aussie movies. You can't go past Mad Max. And oh, yeah. the original Aussie biker film called Stone. The Gravediggers are on the move. A new breed of motorbike gang. Oh, Stone. The good thing about Aussie movies, they always had nudity in them in those days. Oh, heaps of <laughs> R-rated. Plenty of nudity, <laughs> violence and swearing. <laughs> yeah, that's right, I'm a cop. I've been sent to find out who's been killing your mates. Why would you want to know that? That's the way I earn my living. Ah, so 1974, Stone. Yeah. yeah, people people know the uh, the main characters, Rebecca Gillig and Bill Hunter at, uh, and Helen Morse. They were just like the staples of Australian movies in those days. And uh, I know Quentin Tarantino loved our exploitation movies. But if you ever want to see it, I don't know how it holds up with time. When was the last time you saw it? Oh, mate, I try and watch it once a year. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and does it hold up? It does, yeah. You go back to those old films and no, they're not quite, but it, it maintains it, doesn't no, it? No, it does, especially Mad Max. That's a, that's a great movie. Oh, a lot the of first Mad cars. Max. Do you understand the script of the first Mad Max? <laughs> yeah. There wasn't much script. Wasn't I much. remember that. Plenty, plenty <laughs> of action. <laughs> plenty of action. Not much story, but uh, no, nah, it was good. Good old Mel, back when Mel was nice. <laughs>
And where's your uh, favourite Aussie holiday spot? Uh, we just, um, with the family, we used to always like going away just up to um, the Sunshine Coast, Caloundra, Mooloolabar, Noosa. Hard to beat. Um, North Queensland, we used to like going up to North Queensland, even up to... So you never what? really crossed the state border. You don't want to go to that dirty New South Wales place, do you? I've, I've ventured down there every now and then. It's um, And then wash yourself when you get home. Dirty place. Some of those, <laughs> North, <laughs> some of those North and New South Wales beaches are very nice too. Yeah, but they're nice because they're like Queensland. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, we uh, offered a holiday up in Mooloolabar. Mooloolabar, Calandra, they're great. Sleepy little uh, Sunshine Coast towns. They the are traffic's terrible. Traffic's terrible getting up and down and out of them. But, uh, no, they're, they're great spots. But uh, with all the games you've done, what advice would you give to new people who buy a pinball machine about maintenance? What would you tell them when they get them home? What do they have to do? Mate, probably the number one thing I'd tell them is, look, just show them how to remove the playfield glass and just to, to wax and polish their playfield, keep it, keep the playing surface clean, maybe every couple of years to pull the balls out and change the balls. Right. Because you'd be surprised with the humidity, um, a lot of moisture in the air. It doesn't take long. If you pull those balls out and have a look and lay them down on a bit of white tissue and roll them around, you can see all the rust spots all over them. And that's how mm. they start. And once your balls start getting corrosive like that, it's like rubbing sandpaper on your play field in certain parts of your play field. And that's how they yeah. wear. So look, yeah. after you, look after your play field. Keep it polished and waxed, clean. So no one wants to play with dirty equipment. That's why you have to keep your balls clean. Problem is, bar of soap, just doesn't cut it. See? Still dirty. Well, how can guys clean their balls so that they're more enjoyable to play with? Well, there's finally a tool that can really get the job done. The Axe Detailer. Cleans your balls. And keep your balls clean. Keep your balls clean. <laughs> Shiny and clean. <laughs> yeah, someone asked me the other day, I don't know, you're, you're not that close to the ocean, but we are in Queensland. They, Dad wanted to buy a pinball machine and he lives pretty much on the beach. Is there an increased risk of, of corrosion in the game if you are located on the beach in an apartment? Yes, there is, John, yeah. Really bad. What does it mainly affect? The, the boards or the uh, hardware in the game? Mate, anything, anything metal, any metal parts in the game. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. Like, um, I don't know how many times I've gone to somewhere, um, the Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, um, even people living in high-rises, you open it all up and look underneath it and you can see all the um, surface rust starting to. And I said, gee, have a look at this. It, it's like a white, um, white salty surface rust all over a lot of me uh, metallic um, mechanisms, the balls, um, just, just any metal parts, the springs. Wow. It's, it's surprising how it does affect it, John. Yeah. Another thing too, it was funny the other day um, I did a, I went and, down to a, a fellow I know, a local bloke in the Redland Bay. He lives he lives at Redland Bay. So I went to his place and um, I opened up one of his games. And it was a Tales from the Crypt. I opened up and I could smell a real strong moisture, um, water damage type smell in it. And I said, John, did this uh, did this um, pinball get wet or something in all that rain? He said, no. But he said, when I came down the other day, I've noticed it. All the tiles on the floor that they're sitting on, 
all the tiles were wet. And I said, have you got a moisture problem in here? He said, no, not really. So isn't that amazing? And the moisture, the legs were starting to rust. And he'd only had these pin machines sitting there for like the last three months. But because of all the moisture, it must be so bad where wow. he was. And I could actually smell it, um, you, that dampness. Damp that rotting smell. wood smell. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I could smell that when I opened the game up. So yeah. I, <laughs> I suggested he buys one of those um, air humidifiers. I think it, um, it, it takes the moisture the, out of the air. I forget what they're called. Yeah. Um, you can plug them in. The and dehumidifier, they, yeah. Yeah. He really needs yeah. to get one of them. Queensland's a great place. Can be cruel to your pinball machines. <laughs> Keep yeah. them in a in a safe environment. We've uh, we had the photos uh, earlier in the year or end of last year of the poor chap in Brisbane whose uh, four games went under. <laughs> the flood water came up to the glass, but he he managed to salvage them all, which is good. Yeah, I, I knew that guy. Um, yeah, he had some beautiful pinballs. He wasn't the only one. Dude, I had a lot of phone calls about people that had their pinballs go under, and yeah, they. There was nothing they could do with them. They're completely... And, uh, yeah, so what's the plans for the future? Sit back, relax. You're doing something on the property. What are you going to do? Um, I live on five acres. There's always a lot of work to do. I was only up on the roof, our tin, flat tin roof there last um, couple of days ago with a wire brush, scraping off a bit of rust spots and then um, priming it and painting the roof, tin roof. So that was that was one afternoon up there. But my main, yeah. my main ambition, John, my handicap, golf handicap, blew out to um, 17 in the last few years. God forbid, so, man. So I've got, <laughs> I've got it back down to 13, but I want to keep getting down and try and get to um, single digits. So wow. that's my target for the next 12 months. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, trying to play two, three times a week now, so it's good, and, and oh. comp competition. But uh, any pinballs left at home? Or have you managed to get rid of them all? I was always of the view, John, not to get too attached. Otherwise, mate, I would have a whole heap of them. Some beautiful mm. games I've had over the years. And I do now regret selling some of the ones I did sell because, geez, there were some beautiful games in such nice condition and such rare games. What was your rarest? Maybe one rare one that I do regret selling um, was a, a, a Bally Marihari. It was oh, okay. It was a, a prototype. Um, they'd only made a hundred of them, and it didn't have the wood playfield. It had a hard nylon playfield. And when I got this game from Germany, I opened up and it was like brand new. It had hardly ever been played. The boards were perfect. The game was mint outside. I was never going to sell it, but then uh, one of the local guys. Um, he ended up buying it off me and worked out a pretty good price for him. And the funny thing was he um, he advertised it for sale in, oh, probably in the last three or four months. And I approached him about buying it back. And um, it, was a bit, it was a bit out of my price range. Well, Tony, thank you for the chat. That's been a great, uh, a great catch up. And I'm, I'm glad you're working on the golf. So you've got something to drive you mad apart from people who want to buy pinball machines all the time. Um, that golf ball will drive you equally mad. And just remember, everyone in front of you is a horrible player because they go too slow. <laughs> but, um, but, but saying that, John, I've still got my finger in the pie because I'm, I, a lot of customers out there I still do a bit of repair work for. And there's also people that own pinballs come and see me. So, listen, I want, I want to sell a few pinballs. Would you be able to sell them for me? So I'm, I'm still doing a little bit of that sort of stuff. But Nice. Um, it, it doesn't take up much time anymore. It's um, Alison and myself good. want to start doing a bit of travelling. Excellent, excellent. Well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll all catch up. We'll have to come to 
for one of the events like the Brisbane Mars or something, catch up with everyone sometime. Yeah, I've got all the time now to start doing all that, so it'd be good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, give my love to Alison. I certainly will, and um, hopefully I'm I'm going to try and get down to um, Newcastle Pinfest in the next ah, uh, that's next month, weeks. isn't it? Yeah, yeah three, that's, right. that's right. I, I want to do a surprise visit down there and um, surprise a few of my old mates down there that I haven't seen for years. That would be great. That would be great. Particularly the pizza and pinball guys because, yeah, they've done a lot for the hobby. Chris, Chris, and, Chris um, and Dom. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Well, their podcast is uh, – has already been on by the time they hear this one, so you'll be able to have a listen to see what uh, what Chris has been up to and what's happening down there. Yeah, no, they've done a lot for um, the hobby down there. It's been great. They have. They have. All right, mate, I'll catch up with you another time. Thank you again for you. chatting. We might see you at the golf course one day. Woohoo! You'll <laughs> flog me. <laughs> see you, mate. So there we have it, Tony Turner out of Brisbane, the Brisbane boy with the colourful life and the great contributions for selling games over here in Australia. He'll be missed, as will the games he imports, but I think the days of importing cheap games from overseas has well and truly passed, sadly. So I hope to catch him on the golf course and I'll catch you all again next episode and we'll see which Aussies we can shake out to have a chat on the podcast. I'll leave you with another Classic Daddy Cool song, their first hit. Hope you enjoy. See ya. Now listen, oh, we're stepping out. I'm gonna turn you around. Gonna turn around once and we'll do the eagle ride.